What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 185. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading, and most weeks, I do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. But this week, I'm joined by What Should I Read Next producer, Brenna Frederick, to hook several What Should I Read Next listeners up with their perfect summer read. You wrote in, you called in, you commented enthusiastically about the bookish vibes you wanted to fill your summer with. And oh, wow, do I have recommendations for you. Let's get to it. Brenna, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here again. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining me for a very special summer reading episode. This is at least our third summer reading episode, maybe our fourth. I know, and I don't think I've ever been on a summer reading episode before. This is exciting times then. We have been talking about this and we solicited a lot of summer reading questions and feedback from our listeners who sent in voicemails and emails and from our Patreon community who left amazing comments. Around here, we are full of bookish enthusiasm for summer reading season. If you're a reader, it really is the best time of the year. This was the most submissions we've ever gotten for any audience participation episode in the history of what should I read next, I think. So there's your proof. Like people are really pumped about summer reading. Well, that is very exciting. Okay. We're going to get into the history of the guide, but let me just say, I have been doing this since 2012. Some years since the time around maybe 2014 that I started sharing newer releases and not heavy, heavy backlist. Some years I have been concerned that I might not find enough books that I enjoyed enough to include in the guide. But 2019, we are rolling in good titles. There's so many to choose from. I had a very difficult time narrowing it down, which is a nice problem to have, but still like, oh, talk about bookish anxiety. 
you showed me a picture of the long list you had and all the things that you had to scratch out. And I was like, oh, it's going to be a good year for the guy. (laughs) I don't remember that. So I haven't been around since 2012. And since I work on the podcast, not the blog, I don't actually know that much about the history of the Summer Reading Guide. So you are here to learn is what you're saying? I am here to learn. I started blogging in 2011 and I didn't set out to start a book blog or a blog that was very heavy in literary content. But very quickly, I realized this is what I enjoy talking about. And I started finding readers who were very excited about books and reading. And actually, it was Will who was on episode 61 and who, incidentally, I'm thinking about having back because he is having his best reading year ever by a mile. And he's made some very specific changes. And I think that would be a fascinating conversation. He said... You're excited about books and reading. You love summer reading. You take summer reading more seriously than anybody I know. What if you did a summer reading guide to kick off the summer season? And I thought, well, that sounds fun. So that is when it started. In the first couple years, I did some new releases that had already been published, that I'd already read, some old books that were five to 20 years old that I thoroughly enjoyed and thought would be the kind of thing that I would love to read on a road trip uh, at the beach, at the pool, in the backyard. And then some books that were coming out that season that I hadn't yet read, but was excited about. A few years later, here's where we ended up. I talk about backlist all the time. And as I started reading more and more new and newer books, and that's because I started getting more comfortable with contemporary fiction, something that I felt very, very uncertain of how to choose books I would actually enjoy when I first started blogging, but I've learned a lot over the years. And something else that happened was I found that some of those books I put in the guide because I was so excited about reading them, some from authors that I knew and I trusted, well, the books were published and I actually got my hands on them and I read them and went, oh no, (laughs) this is not good. And I recommended it to all those people in my summer reading guide. That established the rules I now follow. And that is I share books published recently, although this year's guide, 2019, does have the broadest time range we ever had before. There are some books published in December 2018, which I've never done before. There was one title I wanted to read in book club this summer. And then there was another title that I read and I loved and I thought would be perfect for summer. And I didn't see it anywhere. I still haven't seen it anywhere. It's not on Bookstagram. People aren't reviewing it, at least not in my circles. So I really wanted to share it this year. And then there's so many good titles coming out in late July, which I usually don't include late July books in the guide. I usually cut it off around the 4th, but they're too good and they're great for summer. And so I'm just squeezing them in because for better or worse, I make the rules. So what I'm hearing is that this year we are rich with books. We are rich. Oh, and something else I should say is that when I started blogging, I don't think publishers were as free with review copies just to regular people and that galley wasn't nearly as established. Mm -hmm. But also now as I have become established as somebody who talks about books, it's easier for me to get my hands on those early copies. So I think that is something worth saying. So when you hear me say, I've read every book in this guide and some of them don't come out till July, publishers are graciously allowing me to read these early so that I can help you narrow down your summer reading options. Because even though this guide is bigger than ever this year, there's still thousands of titles that are going to be published in this time window. And there are only 30 in the guide. Although as always, we do have the five book minimalist summer reading guide if 30 is still just way too many for you to choose from. 
I want to rewind just a sec. You said that Will said you take summer reading more seriously than anyone else he knows. And you've been doing that since before it was your job to pay attention to summer reading. What's so special about summer reading to you? In the conversations I have with people in my neighborhood, people in my friend group, people online, culturally, we get more excited about reading these late spring, early summer months as a society than we do at any other time of the year. I think books and reading are on people's radar more this time of year. Um, And that's true for regular readers who take packing their books more seriously than packing their clothes for any travel they may be doing this season. But also for people who hardly ever read in their regular lives, when summer comes around and NPR starts talking about summer reading, they start thinking, huh, now would be a great time to read a book for the first time since last August. And I just really love how we all turn our thoughts to reading. Of course, I want to think it's all. It's not really all, but we all turn our thoughts to reading this time of year. And something else I really like about summer reading is that whether or not you're a student or a teacher or are in some way directly affected by the rhythms of the school year, a big surprise to me when I graduated from college and became an adult yet didn't have kids was to discover how much the rhythms of everyone's life are affected by the rhythms of the school year. Events stop and they start and the days get longer. I think for many of us, summer is a unique time of year. It looks the least like the other three seasons. So it's a long enough amount of time that we can really think like, oh, how many books am I going to read in this season? And what will they be? We can really let our readerly imaginations run wild. However, it's short enough that we want to use that time carefully. I think this time of year, many people who don't pick up books regularly also are inspired to pick up a novel for a vacation or just to sit outside and read because it's lovely or to take to the pool or on a trip. I want to celebrate that. I think summer reading can be a great doorway to people who aren't regular readers yet, but we hope to win them over. I feel like everyone turns their thoughts to recreation in summer and reading is recreation. It's a thing. Oh, it's a real thing. It's not all kayaking and tennis. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't advise combining the two activities actually. So something that I noticed when I was going through all the submissions preparing for today's episode was how different summer reading looks for different kinds of people. Some people, they get time off of work, maybe for vacation, and they really want something light and fluffy. They want to give their brains a break from, you know, work. But other people, they take that recreation time when they don't have work weighing on them, and they really want to take the opportunity to chew on something maybe more challenging. And it just seems really beautiful to me that we all have different needs and desires out of our summer reading, but we still get to unite around that feeling of having a good summer read. Yes, I loved reading through the submissions. It seemed many people are looking for a change of pace in this season. What that looks like for individual readers varies wildly. And I love that and really want to celebrate that here. So you know, week after week, we're trying to give you reading recommendations across the spectrum of interest and genre and appeals factor, if you want to talk about in a reader's advisory kind of sense. And I try to reflect that in the guide as well. I mean, the summer reading guide doesn't just have covers with pale blue sky and turquoise water and then a strip of sand. (laughs) And not just because we do love and adore our friends in the Southern Hemisphere. A summer read is a book you read in the summer. 
and I really want to celebrate that. But I also think that summer is too short to spend your time fumbling around trying to find a great read. So the Summer Reading Guide, my hope is that it's a shortcut to help you find the good stuff for your reading list this season. And there will be a link to the Summer Reading Guide in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 185. And I think we've made them wait long enough. Should we recommend some books? Let's do it. Okay, so first, here's a voicemail from listener Georgia. I recently finished Eddie Drake's Start Over by Linda Holmes, I think it is. And I just thought it was such a good rom-com because the characters were actual adults and they didn't make silly mistakes that you're just kind of screaming at them to quit doing the entire book. So it was just such a refreshing, sweet book about a woman who is starting over, as the title suggests. And I'd love to get more books like this. Um, I also just finished The Bookshop on the Corner, and that was another one that I thought was really sweet and had a great love story, but was also about a young woman growing up and kind of stepping out on her own. So I love more books that have strong adult characters that don't do obviously silly things, even though they may make mistakes, and that also have a bigger purpose beyond just the love story. Georgia, first of all, let me say I completely agree. I hate that feeling of reading this kind of romantic comedy you're talking about, where you're like, um, if you two just had an actual conversation, <laughs> there would be no plot anymore. It would all dissolve and you're making me oh, just clench up as I read. And I hear you about Evie Drake starts over. That is actually in the summer reading guide. So this is the debut novel from Linda Holmes, who you may know is the host of the Pop Culture Happy Hour. I'll let you read the details in the guide, but basically Two people, each dealing with their own junk, are brought together in improbable circumstances and forge a friendship and maybe something more, but you'll have to read it to find out. And if you do like this kind of book that is, as you said, refreshing and sweet about starting over, I would love to put more books on your list. Two authors spring to mind that I think may scratch that itch for what you're describing. Strong adult characters that don't do obviously silly things, even though they remain human. I would check out the works of Marisa De Los Santos. You might want to start at the beginning with Love Walked In. It's a good one. She does have a loose series. It doesn't need to be read in order. Her most recent book and summer reading guide pick was I'll Be Your Blue Sky. Also the work of Louise Miller. She has two books out so far. The first is The City Baker's Guide to Country Living. I think I would start there. A woman starting over with baked goods in a small town. And The Late Bloomers Club is also quite delightful. And next we have an email from Raylene, who is the wife of guest from episode 127, Jordan Bradley. And I got to meet my friend Raylene in Olympia, Washington at Browser's Books on Book Tour, which was a delight. Hi, Raylene. I was there too, and it was so fun to meet her. Okay, Raylene says, I want summer reads to be engaging and exciting, but not fluffy. I like thrillers, but prefer the dark and twisty ones like Robert Galbraith and Tana French. And frankly, I've been a little disappointed in the thrillers I've read recently. I like good stories with good characters that draw you in, but I've been in a rut of three to four star reads for like a year and a half and really want more five star books in my life. I'm pretty choosy about the five star rating. A book has to be fantastic to get five stars for me. But my five star reads from this year so far are Barrier Dead by Louise Penny, The Library Book by Susan Orlean, and Four Seasons in Rome by Anthony Doerr. 
Okay, Raylene. First of all, I totally hear you in being disappointed in the recent selection of thrillers. And there's really not much in that genre in this year's guide, but they are a few and they're good, but I'm going to let you choose most of them for yourself. Also, I want to say this thing about the five-star rating, I totally hear you. We want all our books to blow us away, right? I don't know if it works like that though. Brenna, does it work like that? Mm, no, I don't think so. I mean, if you consistently read five-star reads, then how does anything... I, I guess every book is special in its own way. Yeah, there would be inflation. And suddenly you'd be <laughs> six-star reads and seven-star reads. Oh, and I will say that I went through a long period of months where I felt like I read a lot of books I liked and very few that I loved. Oh, I wanted more books to blow me away. And that brings us to my first like seven-star book in a long time. It's The River by Peter Heller. It's not brand, brand new. It came out in March. Oh, it was so good. It hooks me from the very beginning. And the opening line is something like, on the second day, they smelled smoke, which is the first hint that these two college boys, they're Dartmouth students, they are taking this leisurely, adventurous canoeing and fly fishing and reading books in the boat trip down the river to the Hudson Bay. They're in Northern Canada. They have long planned for this outdoorsy adventure. But when they smell smoke, that's the first hint that there is danger on the horizon, but it is far from the last. So I think you could really fall in love with these characters because they're two college kids. One is from Colorado, a rancher's son. One is from Vermont. He grew up in a bookish family and they bonded in school over their mutual love of reading. One is more of a realist and one is very gentle and they just have this really wonderful relationship. The prose is so gorgeous and lyrical and well-crafted, and they are on the river. So even though it's an action adventure, there's something very calming about the natural setting. This book combines things that I don't think of is going together. It's an action adventure. It's a lyrical mystery. It's also this really touching story of friendship. Oh, I was so nervous for these boys. And mostly my friend Raylene, I want you to read it and tell me what you think. While you were talking, I was on my library website putting a hold on the downloadable audiobook because that sounds right up my alley. We tell people not to do that, Brenna. I'm sorry. I know. I couldn't hear you typing. <laughs> See, I hold the editing key so I can kind of do what I want, but uh, that's beside the point. Uh, let's move on to this comment from Danielle, who's a patron. And Danielle says... The last two books I loved are Becoming by Michelle Obama and House of Dreams, The Life of L.M. Montgomery by Liz Rosenberg, which is pretty interesting since I don't usually read nonfiction. I love fiction, historical fiction, and anything set in England. I always really enjoy beautiful descriptions. Ooh, I can work with that. So the book I have in mind for you, historical fiction, anything set in England, Beautiful Descriptions is a January 2019 release that kind of flew under the radar. It's called The Orphan of Salt Winds. It's by Elizabeth Brooks. It's set in England. It begins in 1939 when a 10-year-old orphan arrives at Salt Winds. This is a childless couple's home on the edge of a beautiful but dangerous marsh in rural England. And it's the story of what is not quite right in this family? What kind of situation is this 10-year-old girl stepping into? Uh, what kind of hazards, again, echoing the river of the human and natural variety, are just in the distance? Brooks does such an incredible job creating this like really creepy, 
gothic atmosphere. It's not a plot-driven book, but if a book could be driven by the setting, this one is. Oh, it's just so atmospheric. Just thinking about it, I feel wrapped up in the fog that I experienced when I was reading there. I mean, the literal fog rolling off the marsh. I think you might really enjoy it. All right. And next we have a voicemail from Melanie. Two books I read recently that I loved are The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay and Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. The Great Believers. I adored the book. I adored the characters, even when they were breaking my heart. And it's one of those books where you see what's about to happen. You know what's going to happen, but you still hold out hope that everything's going to be okay. And I felt the same way about everything I ever told you. I love the family so much in that book, and I really was hoping for their healing. I wanted to hug everybody. And reading those two books made me realize that I need books that are plot-driven and have characters that I love and I want to care for. And it's really hard for me to read books about people I don't like. So that means I don't care about reading about rich people or a bunch of privileged white men. I don't like family dramas where everybody's kind of mean to each other. So this summer, I'm looking for books that are more like The Great Believers and Everything I Never Told You, where I just love the family and the characters or the people in the book, and I just really want to take care of them, and I hope the best for them. So that's what I'm looking for this summer. Melanie, I love the way you describe those. You love books that are character-driven, that have characters that you love and want to care for. I can tell that you're okay with the books having heavy themes and also being on the long side. That's okay with you. And I think there are some family sagas and literary fiction coming out this summer that is going to make you very happy. The first book that springs to mind is coming out May 28th. It's by Mary Beth Keene, Ask Again, Yes. If you love a good dysfunctional family story, oh, this is so good. But I have to tell you, when I started reading it, I thought, I can see that Keen is an incredible storyteller, but oh, this is so hard to read. Like all these terrible things are happening to these people that I really care about. And this isn't just a bunch of rich people or privileged white men. This is the story of two families that become inextricably bound together from shortly after the two fathers meet in the New York City Police Academy. They would see themselves as regular people just trying to make it in a difficult world. So really hard things happen in this book and triggers abound. If you're a sensitive reader, you may just want to look into things. But I was so interested in seeing what would happen next between them. The way they're brought together, the bond between the families is so powerful and ineludible, even though one family may very much wish that they had gotten out while they still had the chance. I don't want to spoil anything. I would be very careful reading reviews about this just because I think so much of the reading experience is seeing how life can change on you so quickly and wow, does it change in the pages of this book. I wasn't sure if I was going to keep reading it or enjoy reading it probably for the first 75%, but I couldn't believe what the author did in the last 75 pages. Totally vaulted it to my like best books I've read this year list. I do love a good redemption story and this novel delivers. So we go to deep, dark places, but Keen doesn't leave you there. Grace, forgiveness, redemption, this novel checks all those boxes. And Melanie, I noticed that you included novels and only novels, but when you talk about how you want characters you can read for and books that are character-driven, I really loved 
Lori Gottlieb's nonfiction book, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. This is in the guide. It came out in April. And I enjoyed Gottlieb's take on a subject that I thought I kind of understood in her first book, Marry Him, that came out a little less than 10 years ago. And I'd wondered what she'd done in the meantime. The answer is she became a psychotherapist. So this book is really unusual because it's a little bit memoir, but it's an education to the reader on what it's like to be in and to be the one giving talk therapy. And I just found the behind the scenes take on this is fascinating. But the reason we're talking about it right now is that you want to see characters that you love and want to care for. In this book, Gottlieb goes to therapy herself. And that's a real interesting twist on the professional narrative we often get from people when they're writing about their work. She also takes us on a journey with four individual patients she sees in her profession. And they're all dealing with their own junk. They all have their own issues and they all have their own breakthroughs working with her. But oh, in every chapter, I was just leaning forward going like, oh, what are they going to do next? I was so concerned for and rooting so hard for her patients. If you enjoy a good story, this is a great book for you. But if you're also one of those readers who really likes to feel like you learned something in the process of reading a great book, this would be an excellent choice. That's such a funny choice for somebody who loves everything I never told you because the year I read everything I never told you, it was my favorite book of that year. I cry during it. I almost never cry when I read books. But I remember very clearly thinking, oh, these characters, I want them to be okay. They really need to go to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's pivot to an email. This email is from Paula. I would love to read something this summer that was a book of its time, such as The Thornbirds or All the President's Men in the 1970s. Something that impacted its culture and what everybody was reading. I so remember seeing the orange jacket of the Thornbirds and paperbacks of Benchley's Jaws in many friends' houses growing up. All that said, it has to be a solid read and nothing that is fluff or vapid or trite. So you mentioned two titles from the 70s. Let's go to the 80s with The Shell Seekers by Rosamond Pilcher. This book came out in 1987, and I was a kid in 1987, and I still remember seeing it everywhere. It had a very distinctive cover. I'm not sure if it wasn't a good cover, Brenna, or if it just didn't age well. But this book was number one on the New York Times bestseller list for more than half the year. It was a BBC top 100 novel. I mean, this book certainly counts as a cultural phenomenon. I am pleased to say that while the 1980s cover may not have held up, the book itself has. Rosamond Pilcher has written four different books set in different seasons, and summer is obviously a great time to go to the shell seekers. So what Pilcher does so well is she tells family stories that are focused on relationships and how people's past lives influence their present situation. When the story opens, we have an older woman. I think she's in her 60s. She's just had a medical scare. She's just gotten out of the hospital. But that event is a launching off point for her to look back over what has unfolded in her family over the course of her life. Pilcher is also one who writes characters whose lives you get wrapped up in and that you really want to root for. Okay, so I have a question. What do you think is a book like that, like a a book of its time for this decade? That is such a good question for this decade. And what makes it that book? Like, is it just content? Is it a mix of content and that cover that you remember on somebody's coffee table? I want to say it's not the visual. 
but maybe I just want to. That doesn't make it true. (laughs) When I think about modern classics, something like The Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver comes to mind. That was 1998, but we have so much more perspective. I'm really wondering about a book like All the Light We Cannot See. So it's a Pulitzer winner, so it'll keep being on those lists and people will read it because it is one. But I think even without that, I can see it being the kind of book people come back to. I also think maybe a book like Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. I was kind of thinking about Americana. <gasps> were you? That makes me so happy. Yes. If you're thinking it and I'm thinking it, then maybe we're both right and the whole world wins. All of you have to tell us in the comments. <laughs> what should I read next? Podcast.com slash 185. Tell us what you think is going to be that iconic book or just that iconic cover for the 20 teens. Okay, next we have a patron comment from Sierra. I've been trying to diversify my reading lately while also tackling an ever-growing TBR. However, one category I am struggling with is thriller and mystery. The past couple years, I've read some Agatha Christie, Love, and several thrillers with unreliable narrators. Overdone and over it. (laughs) I would love some recommendations in this realm, preferably without a lot of gore. Oh yeah. Okay. You got it. There's some good stuff coming out this summer. Agatha Christie makes me think, let's go for a classic mystery. Kate Atkinson has a new one coming out in June this year. It's called Big Sky. I saw the title of her new book before I read the description earlier this year. And I was surprised to learn that after a long hiatus, she is returning to her Jackson Brody series with beloved classically written mysteries. I haven't read all the Jackson Brody mysteries, but I read and enjoyed this one. So Brody, he used to be a detective. Now he's a private investigator. And in this new book, some of his personal interests, he just, he saw something, it looked suspicious. He started making notes and professional interests when he's hired by a woman who has something creepy going on in her life and she needs to figure it out. Eventually they come together. Not a spoiler. It'll be very obvious to the reader, but these are set in England. They have really wonderful internal dialogue. This is a classically written mystery, but Agonson manages to address timely issues without it feeling forced at all. It feels very natural that, of course, this is what a PI should be investigating these days. Oh, she's got great narrative drive. For a change of pace on that mystery thriller front, beloved Southern fiction author Jocelyn Jackson is doing something a little different for her this year. In late July, she has a new domestic suspense novel coming out. It's called Never Have I Ever. It begins at a book club in a sleepy Southern neighborhood, but then a new visitor shows up and you quickly find out she has a score to settle because she knows something about somebody's past that that person does not want getting out. But this new guest has motivations for making this woman pay for what she did way back then. I thought it was really fun to see Jocelyn Jackson, whose works I really enjoyed, write the same kind of thing you know. Like she writes great Southern fiction that just feels so steeped in its setting. But this was a new genre for her and it worked and I loved it. That sounds like a quintessential summer read to me. Doesn't it though? Okay, let's do another patron comment. Janine says, I love literary and contemporary fiction that is primarily character-driven, but that still moves along at a reasonable clip. I strongly prefer top-notch writing rich in symbolism with layer upon layer of meaning. Favorites from previous summer reading guides include The Ensemble, 
the female persuasion, the great alone, this is how it always is, and Bayer Town. In terms of subject matter, I gravitate toward complicated families or groups of people, like in the ensemble or in Daisy Jones and the Six. Definitely Ask Again Yes, again by Mary Beth Keene. And to that, I would add another family saga. It's The Last Romantics by Tara Conklin. This is one of those books that was published in February, but I had to put it in the summer reading guide because not enough people are reading it yet. And I think we need to change that, Janine. So this totally counts as a sweeping family saga. It covers nearly a hundred years in the life of the Skinner family. And the setup is really interesting. I like the way that the author launches the reader on a flashback that takes us back to the early years of the four Skinner siblings. This book really hinges on two different moments of deep grief in the Skinner family. When the kids are little, their father dies And their mom just checks out for a bit, drops out of her own life. So the kids at the time were so young. They were like four to 11 and they were left to basically raise themselves for a while. It made them close and it made them strong. But then another tragedy happens 25, 30 years later. It becomes apparent that the pause may have brought them together, but it also broke them in ways that weren't immediately apparent, but are... Oh, so have such tragic repercussions now. But I love the way that she tells a story that moves, but is also very literary. Serious themes, it does them well. It has prose that is obviously carefully constructed and is supposed to read like really beautiful writing. This would be the kind of novel that's good for, again, fans of Ask Again, yes. The ensemble would be a good comp. Also, Ann Patchett's Commonwealth for that family story that has a long scope. All right, now we have a voicemail from Liz. Two books that I've liked recently are The Love and Lies of Ruxana Ali by Sabina Khan. And that is a book based on a girl that is in the LGBT community, but her Muslim parents do not approve, and she ends up going to Bangladesh for a while, and so it's about her journey, and it also has some international flair to it. I also really enjoyed the book Sissy by Jacob Tobiah. They were recently in Wichita, and they spoke, and I got to hear them speak, which made me love the book even more. And this is also an LGBT memoir, and the other one was fiction. So this summer, I would like some books that are not too fluffy. I struggle with the beach type of reads. I don't really get fully into them. And I also have a summer off of work, so I would like to have something to chew on a little bit more. I'm really wanting to up the books I'm reading that are from a global perspective, um, and their bonus points if they do have an LGBTQ character in them. Hi, Liz. The book I am thinking of is Under the Udala Trees by Chinala Okparanta. This book has emotional angst, solid writing, and international flair, and it gets bonus points too. This is set during 1968. And, you know, we were just talking about Chimamanda, who also is the author of Half of a Yellow Sun, a novel set during the Biafran War in Nigeria. Okparanta's book is also set in the same time period. So it's set in 68. It's set during that war between Biafra and Nigeria. So up close, this story is about two girls who meet because of the conflict and they become good friends and then something more. But because of cultural mores, something more is forbidden. That is an excellent setup for a novel that wrestles with what it means to love and what does it mean if your love needs to be a secret and should love be a secret. And that drives the girls to make difficult decisions that make for very compelling reading. 
I actually have a recommendation for this one. If you're interested in branching out a little bit format-wise, I would recommend two books that can be sort of companions for each other by a graphic memoirist, Mari Naomi. The two books are Dragon's Breath and Other True Stories and her previous book, Turning Japanese. Turning Japanese is halfway a travelogue, learning more about her Japanese heritage and beginning to connect with it more in her 20s. Dragon's Breath digs a little bit deeper into her childhood memories. You not only get a little bit more from her about her biracial identity, but also her experience being bisexual. It's not the full focus of the memoir, but it is a presence. If you need a nudge to be able to really enjoy graphic memoirs, I think the really beautiful thing about it is that you can really get inside people's heads because the art is exactly how they want you to experience that story. Like they're drawing their fridge and their grandpa and their cat exactly the way they want you to see it, the way they remember it. Brenna, this sounds so obvious, but I never thought about the fact that with a graphic memoir, yes, the artist is illustrating their own story. Okay, next we have a voicemail from Patty. My name is Patty, and Anne, I would love your help finding a book that is similar to Abby Jeannie's two novels. I read her first novel, The Light Keepers, when it came out, and I recently read her second book, The Wild Lens. In both of her books, she writes beautifully and has vivid atmospheric settings. Both books have an element of suspense, but the suspense is just part of the books. They also have well-drawn characters and an interesting plot. The last thing I love about her books, which isn't a requirement for the recommendation, but would be a nice bonus if you can find it, is the connection between people and animals slash nature. I'm eagerly waiting for her to write a third book. And in the meantime, I hope you can find me something similar. Patty, this is a great question. Whether you've read all of Abby Jenny's work or you have never heard her name before, what you need to know is just what Patty says. She has vivid atmospheric settings with an element of suspense and nature is often a big part of her books, which is why I would recommend anything by Jane Harper, if you love Abby Jenny novels. These books are so atmospheric. They're set in Australia. They're always set in the heat or sometimes in the forest. Nature there feels not just restorative and interesting, but oppressive and sometimes like the enemy. I mean this in a really, really wonderful way. The setting is such an important part of the reading experience and also the plot. You like books that have an element of suspense. So Jane Harper writes really excellent crime novels. Her first, The Dry, is where I would start. It's my favorite, and it is a straight-up procedural about a crime that is more mysterious than it appears at first glance. All her books are quite good. They stand on their own. They can be read in any order, but oh, The Dry would make excellent summer reading. And I have to quote Ginger of the Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club, who said that she just kept wanting to down lemonade while she was reading this because it made her so hot and thirsty. It's that convincing. Next, let's go to an email. This one's from Tessa. Two books I have loved are Shadow of the Wind and The Historian. They tie in well with the theme of the summer to me. I love to travel, but since having my son almost two years ago, we haven't been able to travel as much as we used to. This summer, I would love to indulge my interest in travel by reading books that take place in foreign countries. I also love books about books, especially when there's a mystery element and or some sort of quest. I don't mind darker books, and I really love fast-paced plots that keep you turning the pages. 
Well, that is really interesting, Tessa, because when you named Shadow of the Wind and the historian, I thought, oh, now this is a reader who is okay with a book that takes its time. Two spring to mind here. One is older, one is newer. Uh, the first is Possession by A.S. Byatt, an author who I really love for the way she writes female characters. This is a book about books. It's a literary mysteries. It's about two scholars who are researching the lives of poets from the Victorian era, and they're trying to solve a mystery by piecing together the documents they have, letters, poetry, journals. They are on the hunt, and pretty quickly you have them racing what feels like all over England, trying to track down a suddenly time-sensitive answer about this long past history. There's a plot line in the present day as well. And what you have is two separate love stories unfolding. So you have the literary mystery, you have a love story, and you have England. Another book I think you may find interesting is a previous summer reading guide pick. It's called Hum If You Don't Know the Words by Bianca Murray. It's set in 1970s Johannesburg during the time of apartheid. This is a story about what happens during and in the aftermath of the 1976 Soweto uprising. There is a young girl, third or fourth grade age, and an older woman who are brought together and forge an unlikely friendship that changes both their lives. You like plots that move. It took me a little bit of time to get oriented in the story just because the history and the setting at the time were unfamiliar to me. But once I got far enough to really get to know the characters, I just flew through it. And lastly, we have an email from Elissa. My recently read favorites are Us Against You by Frederick Bachman and Inheritance by Danny Shapiro. I loved both of them because they take a deep dive into a tough subject, trauma and identity, told through beautiful, well-written, thoughtful prose. For the summer, I'm looking for something that hits both of those marks in a lighter way. Ooh. Oh, that's a really good question, but wow, does my brain go different places when I hear those titles, Us Against You and Inheritance, and then in a lighter way, especially from the Frederick Bachman. Two spring to mind. One is brand new, one is two years old. Jenny Moon by Benjamin Ludwig, I think would be a great pick. And this is not a light book. It could definitely break your heart, but it's also maybe equal parts a feel-good story. This is the story of a girl who was removed from her mother's home when she was nine, and she's been going through adoptive homes. Jenny is autistic, and these families just do not know how to give her what she needs. So I think what makes this story maintain some levity is that it's told from Ginny's perspective. And to have a young girl narrate the often tragic circumstances of her life is both heart-wrenching, but also disarming. It is difficult to read. I mean, this is about this is a book about surviving abuse and about living through very difficult things. But it's also very touching. And I think it might be a good pick for you. Another book that I have in mind is Coming This Summer. It's in the Summer Reading Guide. It is called Gravity is the Thing, and it's by Jacqueline Moriarty. This is a book that addresses serious issues, grief and loss, those kinds of losses that are considered, for whatever the reason, outside the bounds of normal. You can picture my air quotes there. It's about characters experiencing losses that are unconventional and unusual, that people can't relate to, that don't have closure, so they just don't know what to do with them. And for the person experiencing that loss, that is really difficult. So heavy themes, but the voice and the style is so quirky. 
And it has this wry sense of humor that also gives it some levity and keeps it from being just all heavy all the time. Abby is an Australian girl whose twin brother disappears the night before their 16th birthday. They don't know what happened to him. They never find out what happens to him. So when I talked about a loss outside the bounds of normal with no closure, that's where Abby is 20 years later. 20 years later, she receives this invitation, and this is where it starts sounding like nine perfect strangers. She gets this invitation to an all-expenses-paid retreat where she is going to learn the truth about a mystery that has been plaguing her for 20 years. Shortly after her brother died, she started receiving chapters in the mail of this odd little self-help book called The Guidebook. And the chapters arrived at erratic intervals, and they didn't arrive in order. Abby's not sure that she's ever seen the whole thing. But when she gets this opportunity to learn the truth, about the guidebook, she can't say no. So this is a book that is sad, but it also has a lot of feel-good factor to it. For you structure geeks out there who really like to see an author tell a story in unusual ways, this is an original kind of telling. And that is coming July 23rd. I'm looking forward to that one. I think anytime there's like mystery communication, that really grabs me. That's like reading. Brenna, I love that you have very specific reading requests. Okay. (laughs) So readers, if you can send recommendations to Brenna. Also, are you still on the hunt for dystopian novels where gardening is a prominent part of the plot? Yes, I am. I feel like we need a little background. I recently got into gardening and I have this like little food garden on my apartment balcony and it's ridiculous. She means adorable. I want to find a book to read this summer where it's after some sort of apocalyptic event and like our normal structure for getting food is broken down and people are gardening like a a very old fashioned way for their food. And they rely on that and like that deep involvement with the land and with growing their own food and the amount of labor it takes. Like I just want the strategy that goes with that in an apocalyptic setting. And I've never read it before. So if anyone has a recommendation, (laughs) (laughs) you know what to do. Email me, Brenna at modernmrsdarcy.com. Okay. So readers, send Brenna your recommendations because she needs to scratch her readerly itch. But also if you are on the hunt for a very specific kind of book, super, super niche, we may not be able to help you, but we want to hear about your weird bookish quest. So please tell us in the show notes. I think someone out there will always have the answer. And we have a lot of readers on our side. Well then Brenna, we should have taken your situation to the reader sooner. Next time. Next time. Brenna, this has only amped up my enthusiasm for the summer reading season ahead. Yeah, I want to go to the beach right now. I want to hit the library and go to the beach. Uh-huh. I Just a big tote bag full. I mean, books and snacks. That's really all I need. I'll figure out the bathing suit and clothes thing later. Um, what is the first novel you're going to tackle this summer? I'm reading a nonfiction book to start off my summer. I'm reading Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown. Wait, from Femi and Erica's episode? Yes. I read the first chapter and I set it aside for a little while because it hit me really hard. It's a very good book. It feels like one of those books that like heals you from the inside out. That's how I want to start my summer is feeling healed. I love it. I want to start my summer making up for lost time because The River was my first Peter Heller novel and my best book of the year so far. And I haven't read anything on his backlist. So I'm just going to get myself a little checklist and going to start checking those boxes. So make sure to get your copy of the Summer Reading Guide. It'll be on modernmrsdarcy.com. You will not be able to miss it. Many books we talked about on this episode, as well as many, many more. And this is not the end of our summer reading content. We have some great stuff lined up this season on what should I read next. Brenna, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. It's been a delight. 
It is always fun. Hey readers, I hope these summer recommendations get your reading season started off right. You can find even more books for your summer to be read list in the Modern Mrs. Darcy Summer Reading Guide. What should I read next podcast.com slash 185. Next week, I'm talking to Lamar Giles, a reader whose favorites range from a Dr. Seuss book, our first, to a Stephen King book. But there's still a definite through line in the books he's drawn to. Here's a sneak peek. No one has ever chosen a Dr. Seuss book before as a favorite. Really? This is a big moment. I'm happy to be the first. It's a book that just appealed to all of what will become my sensibilities. It's a fantasy. You've got talking animals. There's a little bit of terror involved if you think about it from the Who's perspective. <laughs> you know, I mean, you think about it. Yes. If you're a Who, it's like the apocalypse. And people have laughed when I said stuff like this before. But I'm like, if you take it from their perspective, it's the end of the world. And Horton is the God that can save them. That's a little darker than probably what Dr. Seuss intended, but that's the way I took it. And then you've got the humor of everybody that Horton runs into that don't believe him. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We will see you next week. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B is in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Our newsletter subscribers are the first to know all the What Should I Read Next news and happenings. If you're not on the list, you can fix that now by visiting whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter to sign up for our free weekly delivery. If you enjoy this podcast, you may enjoy checking out our Patreon, available at patreon.com slash whatshouldireadnext. Over the past weeks, readers have enjoyed sneak peeks and behind the scenes of the summer reading guide that just dropped. Check it out at patreon.com slash what should I read next. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Happy reading, everyone.